See, me, I'm not a film reviewer. I'm a pop culture deconstructionist. No, you're a snob. <laughs> That's what I said. Radio Drome. Welcome to a speculative episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the Canadian Monkey Man, the Peter. I think I drank an entire liquor store last night. That sounds about right. The Crow T robot himself, the Cecil. Peter's so drunk, I smell him in another country. <laughs> That's about right. This really was a bad idea. <laughs> Well, if you guys aren't in Canada, you can go to adamandeve.com and use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you would be able to get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping to get yourself a little something to maybe help quarantine a little bit. Plug your exhaust pipe there. Use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. And also, if you're going to be going to some of the skeevier parts of the internet and with everything in lockdown, that's all we do is go on the internet nowadays. You need a VPN, a virtual private network. That's where Nord comes in. Go to 1201beyond.com backslash DROME VPN be transferred to Nord's site, where if you go through our link, you'll be able to get 75% off of a three-year plan it's only $3.79 a month for Nord's protection of where they'll encode your data, they'll protect your data, you'll be able to get around region coding. You kind of need a VPN. It's like a digital condom at this point. So guys, last week we talked about horror, and we've talked about horror a lot. Let's talk about the other side of that. Science fiction. Because science fiction has really changed its definition when it comes to, especially pop culture, in recent years. I, I want to look at what science fiction is, what science fiction was, and what science fiction is not. What does science fiction mean to you when you just hear that? Whether it's movies, TV, novels, whatever. Space! Science! Science! In general, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of science fiction is outer space. Now, granted, I understand that is there's much larger than that. But for me, whenever I think science fiction, I always think something taking place in outer space. Now, you can have science fiction on Earth. You can have science fiction, uh, you know, covering technology. There is a wide variety of stuff. For me, when I hear science fiction, the first thing that comes to mind is something taking place in space. Well, pretty much the same thing. Something that has to do with either science or space or something to that effect in a, of course, fictional quality. Something that sort of says, what if this exploration of science or space went in this sort of way and we discovered aliens or this sort of experiment discovered this, you know, something to the effect of the fly or the thing or something like that, where it's either add like a horror element or an exploration element, you know, something to the effect of either that can go in the direction of Star Trek or something that can go in the direction of horror, like the thing or the fly or something to that effect or Blade Runner. Like to me, that's sort of indicative of what science fiction tends to be. See, when I think of science fiction, I always think of ideas. 
It's not about laser guns. It's not about space. It's not about monsters. It's about ideas. It's about thinking. Yes. Thinking ahead. And that's, to me, what science fiction is. The, the concept of some sort of idea that goes somewhere. Like, uh, it has to sort of establish itself that way. Unfortunately, science fiction, especially in pop culture, and this has gone through a couple of different eras, which we'll get to in a moment, it seems to be just about hey, it's in space, so there it's therefore it's science fiction. Oh look, there's a laser gun in this. It's science fiction. Or, it takes place a few years from when it was made. It's in the future. It's science fiction. Think about the Friday the 13th franchise in this way. By the time they got to Goes to Hell, were they a science fiction franchise? Because the first film takes place in 1979. <laughs> the second film, the third film, and the fourth film take place in 1984. So they're already jumping into the future from when the movie was made. The fifth mm -hmm. film, being made in 1985, takes place in 1989. The sixth film, made in 1986, takes place in 1995. The seventh film takes place in 2005. Then in eight is in 2000. 2006, 9 is in 2009, and it's like, so does that make the Friday the 13th franchise science fiction? Because every one of the movies basically takes a three to five year jump from when they were made. No, it doesn't. That's not science fiction just because they're technically taking place in the future, although the movies don't acknowledge that. I understand that even though each movie says, well, the last one was five years ago, but, to, but it's still the current year right now. Ugh. But that's a whole different thing. <laughs> You know, it's like what Harlan Ellison said right after Star Wars came out, because Star Wars changed everything in the movie business. He said all of a sudden, and, and this is the way the companies put it, was they all wanted a science fiction property. They didn't want right. science fiction ideas. They wanted a science fiction property. They wanted their own Star Wars. And to them, all they saw Star Wars as was the laser guns and the spaceships. And it was, well, we've got this Western script. We just, instead of giving them revolvers, we give them laser guns and we set it on an alien planet. Now it's science fiction. <laughs> no, it's not. Do you see what I'm talking about? How it's about ideas and not about aesthetics? There needs to be something that establishes why we're living in in the world we're living as far as the story or, or movie or whatever goes. Not just hey, these people have pew-pew laser guns and there's a cyborg and, and stuff like that. Like, there, there has to be, there does need to be an idea behind it because that's that's the whole point of the words science and fiction being combined, that there has to be some sort of science backing it. And then you have this fictional tale of a, of a history of where, whatever the world is that, that you're living in. So, yeah. I mean, if you remember, we've talked about it before. V, the TV series, was originally supposed to be a period piece based on Nazis. And well, no, nobody no, no. wanted... It, it wasn't supposed to be... It was supposed to be contemporary to 1983, but it was the rise of Nazism in 1983, but there were no aliens in it originally. Well, that's... I'm sorry, I got it mixed up. Yes, you're right. It was the... It was the and then nobody wanted it, so then they made it into aliens, and the alien visitor symbol was very similar to the Nazi uh, swastika. Like, so, like, you can watch it and see the parallels, but that's the thing. It's like, well, this wouldn't work, so let's add a sci-fi element to it, and then that worked. And to be perfectly honest, I think if they did end up making the show 
show as it was originally intended, it probably would have been long since forgotten. But instead, because they made the way that they made it the way that it is that we know it, it ended up being a massive hit. And it's something that's still beloved years later. Do you think that there's something to be said for adding a sci-fi element to something that uh, maybe wasn't originally intended to be sci-fi? Now, sometimes it gets shoehorned in there. Kind of dig that. Uh, I'm actually doing a video on Logan's run. And it's funny because the studio was really worried because they didn't think that audiences wanted science fiction movies. Because that was and a year was, before Star Wars. It was, well, I mean, when they were working on it, it was two years before Star Wars. But that was the thing. It was, uh, you know, they were really, they put a hard limit on the budget. They were like, oh, we're not sure. They're like, we're going to do this because we bought it and we kind of had, you know, they, they really didn't want it. And it came out and actually did well. But it was just funny that they were so skeptical. Like now, it's like a no-brainer to do a science fiction film. But back then, it was just, it was so touchy. They're like, oh, we don't know if the audiences are going to want this. And it's it's just funny to, to look at that from that perspective. Star Wars really, you know, love it or hate it, no matter what you feel about Star Wars, it completely changed movies. It did, because prior to Star Wars specifically, but there were other things that led up to this, but prior to Star Wars... Science fiction in film, and especially in television, was considered kid stuff. You read anything from any science fiction writer of the time, Isaac Asimov, Harlan Ellison, Ray Bradbury, anybody like that, no studio would talk to them. Nobody wanted anything science fiction because we're not going to put millions of dollars into a science fiction TV show. Sci-fi is that kid's stuff. Sci-fi is Captain Video and Rocky Jones Space Ranger. That's Saturday morning <laughs> stuff. No, because that, that is what the studios looked at it as. And then occasionally, and Kubrick even ran into this, when he was trying to make 2001 A Space Odyssey in 68, they're like, Stanley Kubrick wants to make a science fiction movie? The studios thought he was wasting his talents making a science fiction movie that, why don't you make a war picture or a western, Stanley? They just could not get it in their heads that science fiction was not kids stuff. And that's the way it was. Star Wars changed everything. Because remember, even when Star Wars came out, I mean, before it became a hit, when it was first released... Oh, it was bombed by the critics. Not just by the critics, but Fox had no faith in it. They thought this would be a Saturday matinee movie, that this would get all of the kids on Saturdays to mm -hmm. go see it, and that's where they'd make their money, and that's it. And then, boom, everything well, they, changed. Right. They sank all their money into Damnation Alley. And yes, if Damnation the Alley, wanted to do good. they wanted that to do good. They had, they basically, it really worked in, in George Lucas's favor because they were having such problems with Damnation Alley that they were all, the executives were focused on that and they just let George Lucas do whatever the hell they want, whatever he wanted. <laughs> so they're like, ah, oh, that's the movie that's not going to make any money. And honestly, if not, this is another thing that changed history. Damnation Alley did so bad and they had sank so much money into it that if it wasn't for Star Wars, Wars, Fox would have went bankrupt because they put all their money into that. It bombed. And Star Wars came along and was a massive blockbuster and saved them from just being a, a complete, you know, completely going broke. Mm -hmm. And speaking of Damnation Alley, if you look at that, you, you strip out the giant scorpions and the post-apocalyptic setting, it's a Western. <laughs> it, that's another movie where it's a Western with science fiction aesthetics just slapped on top of it. There's well, nothing it's, it's really like science a... fiction in it. I don't even know if I would really call that one sci-fi. I would call that one more like post-apocalyptic. 
which which does exist as a sect of science fiction. Like Damnation Alley does have that idea behind it, so I would still consider it science fiction, but just more of a of a post apocalyptic kind of science fiction. After Star Wars came out, like I was going to the Harlan Ellison thing earlier, it just blew up. Every studio was like, we need a science fiction movie. So all of a sudden, Isaac Asimov and Ellison and all these people are being called in and they're like, what do you got? Just pitch us something. We'll, we'll, we'll buy anything now. Which shows that, again, they didn't understand that, first of all, relatively, Star Wars did not cost that much compared to all what showed up on the screen that was a relatively cheap movie for the scale that it was. And all of the studios couldn't understand this. It's not like you have standing science fiction sets. You know, Warner Brothers and Paramount on their back lots have standing Western sets. That's why you see the same Western towns in every single movie that came out in the 60s. Science fiction needs needs a budget. It's really hard to do a science fiction movie well on a small budget. That's one of the things that kind of hurts it as a, as a film genre is it's not cheap to do. The ideas are cheap to do. Like you can have you can have something with parallel universes or something like that, but to make it look good, that is expensive. That's why I think science fiction literature is still the best pound for pound that you can get in terms of ideas because you are not hamstrung by your budget when it comes to literary science fiction. Well, there's a lot of times where they have these really good ideas, but they just can't afford to do them properly. Uh, there was a movie a few years ago. God, I can't remember the name of it now. It was a, a group and they were uh, simulating what it was like to go through space travel. And essentially it was this like government funded thing and they got put in this chamber that was supposed to be a replication of uh, of a spaceship and they couldn't afford it really so it was this big white room with like folding chairs and a couple of like flat screen TVs and I'm watching it and I'm like oh you guys you could not afford this at all you really should have kind of tweaked it to a certain degree because it's like if this was supposed to be like a government funded thing it would have been like a lot fancier and and it's like like how uh, the movie Moon was was how mm. it was just you know how everything looked very clean it and it, functional. It, had this, it looked functional and this just looked like somebody did it in like their basement i guess that would go to especially 70s and 80s doctor who overflowing with ideas but wow did that stuff look like crap didn't it because the bbc didn't give them any money yeah, a lot of the old stuff. I love them, but a lot of the old ones, you're like, oh, yeah, you guys couldn't quite afford that. But there is a certain charm to them, and I don't, I, I kind of give them a little bit of uh, leeway. But there are certain things where, unfortunately, as much as you can have a really strong script and you try to do things, certain things you just need those visuals in order to properly be able to tell the story. And if you don't have the money and you can't do the visuals, it's not going to do it justice. No, I, I agree with that. And that's why there are so many, not only science fiction, I, I actually, I think this may be the biggest proprietor of that sort of film is the high concept film, the high concept science fiction film, which I do own a couple of those just in my own personal collection. There's a, there's a movie called Slipstream that has uh, Bill Paxton and Mark Hamill that is pretty much like almost entirely hell don't show because they're trying to like tell you 
how how the world in this like science fiction tale came to be and and whatnot. And I, I don't think the movie would be nearly as watchable as it as it is if it didn't have the talents of of Mark Hamill and and Bill Paxton behind it. But but that is definitely something that happens when you have science fiction stories and movies and and shows when when they don't have enough of a budget, it becomes the the high concept movie. There's that, but then what isn't science fiction? Because I've often used the term genre. We are genre fans. That's, to me, science fiction, fantasy, horror. What isn't science fiction? Like, a superhero, Superman. Is that science fiction? Because obviously it deals with aliens and space, but it doesn't really feel science fiction, does it? Is this, does Batman count as science fiction? What about Spider-Man? What about Wolverine? Are superheroes, whether you're talking the comic books or the films, is that science fiction or is that not? I think I it think is. I think Wolverine and uh, Wolverine definitely is. I think comic books in general, especially when you're dealing with fantasy stuff, not like Love and Rockets and all that. It I really think... depends on it, it. Depends on the character, I would say. Like sometimes yes, sometimes no. Is is something like Damnation Alley? Is that science fiction? Or is that just a Western with science fiction tropes slapped on top of it? Uh, I think Damnation Alley is was really more of a kind of possibly Cold War paranoia kind of thing that sort of had some science fiction aesthetics in it. I do think it, it qualifies enough to be sci-fi because we are introduced to the world that the story is uh, is taking place in it's kind of more of like a like a bleak science fiction kind of story it, it sort of has that idea to it in the same regard of comic book characters and which ones are sci-fi which ones aren't superman not so much like he he is an alien but it's it's really more of an action hero kind of story but whereas if you take a look at something like wolverine or the x-men in general i would say that's definitely sci-fi it's it's almost like body horror in a sense like it's this idea of especially talking about wolverine this idea of creating a super soldier infusing his body with this like unbreakable steel and the experiment kind of goes wrong and and he he runs off and sort of finds his own way and goes on a rampage like that's that's very that's very sci-fi to me that's that's almost something indicative of of like what a cronenberg or a john carpenter might do or a philip k dick might do even a, even a dean Koontz like that that sounds very dean Koontz ish to me um as far as like his sort of sci-fi slash horror stories so i just think it depends on how they establish it uh, it really depends on the thing i think um for example you can have a different variety of things coming through from science fiction and horror and different genres uh something like superman i do think has a lot of elements of science fiction whereas if they were to adapt something like saint sinner which was uh, a clive barker comic from the 90s they did that would definitely they did adapt that they did. They did a Saint Sinner. What a TV show! Show. It was a TV movie on the Sci Fi Channel in, two, in the early two thousands. I've I've got a VHS of it. Really? Yeah. It's ter- like... it's terrible, but they, they did a Saint Sinner movie. <laughs> of course, it was terrible. Uh, I I would have loved for them to have done Ecto Kid. I always thought that was probably the best of the of the bunch. But Saint Sinner was the first one that came to mind. But there, you know, there you go. That goes more into horror. So I think that comic books are something that, much like TV and cinema, have different genres 
genres that can be applied and they can kind of be melded together. You can have a science fiction horror, you can have a science fiction drama, you can have a horror drama, you can have a lot of different things. So I think it really depends on the different property. Batman has elements of science fiction, but also has action and drama. It's, it, I mean, you can put it under the umbrella of science fiction, um, and a lot of people will. But I think that uh, there's a much greater description in there and not just science fiction. Well, when it comes to science fiction, what about, because Peter, you used this term a minute or so ago. You said sci-fi. Now, obviously, that is the more common way people say science fiction. But Which is what I was doing. I was sort of just kind of making it a bit shorter, I guess. I know, but I'm just saying that's the, that's the main way people say it. It's sci-fi, the sci-fi channel and all that before that became siffy, which sounds, I still think, like uh, venereal disease nerds get. <laughs> Science fiction writers, Bradbury, Asimov, Ellison, all of these people, they hated the term sci-fi. They thought sci-fi was sort of the pop culturalization of what science fiction was. They hated that term. Ellison would freak out on you if you called him a sci-fi writer. Because the slang term that people who don't have their own ideas would use. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put in quotes, real science fiction writers despise the term sci-fi. That, that's the pop culture buzzword version. I love Harlan Ellison, and I love a lot of writers, but I think that I think they get too caught up in like labels and stuff. And I think that's that's kind of applicable to everything. Where you'll get uh, like I for me, I get called a movie reviewer, and I'm like, I'm really, I don't really review like I'm not like Roger Ebert or somebody. I mean, yeah. but I don't take I don't take offense to it. I just think that <laughs> it's kind of a a limiting term. But I think you have a lot of writers uh, and people of that you know stature that are you know they've worked really hard to become writers. And then I guess in some way they see, you know, they're labeled as a sci-fi writer. Well, that's that's kind of like a, a slight against them. And I think a lot of that comes from they were coming up when science fiction was seen as a, you know, a kid thing as whereas now it's taken a lot more seriously. So I think if you have a lot of writers now that were called sci-fi writers, they would embrace it rather than a lot of the older writers where you would call them a sci-fi writer and they would take offense to it. See me, I'm not a film reviewer. I'm a pop culture deconstructionist. No, you're a snob. <laughs> That's what I said. But then science fiction was also a way to get around the limitations that not just pop culture, but culture itself would put on things. And, and this is what I think was the most genius thing about science fiction. You could not, on television and movies, you couldn't talk about homosexuality. You couldn't talk about gender issues. You couldn't talk about race issues. You couldn't talk about being anti-war. A normal setting in a Western, in a drama. Now, if you were Rod Serling or you were Gene Roddenberry or you were Gene L. Coon or somebody like that, you were you would just wrap that, we're not talking about race issues, we're talking about two different aliens. Oh, now you can talk about living in a ghetto because it's an alien ghetto. But you can't talk about the ghettos in Chicago. That you can't do. <laughs> I think it was actually brilliant how, because remember, Rod Serling did not start off as a science fiction writer. He started off as a writer. He made dramas. He made dramas about boxing and about business and things like that. They were brilliant. I still say, everyone thinks Rod Serling is this science fiction voice. One of the best things he ever wrote. 
is a non-science fiction piece about business and ruthlessness called Patterns. You Mm. should absolutely, you can find it out free on YouTube. You should watch Patterns. It's absolutely brilliant. But when it comes to someone like Rod Serling, he wanted to talk about all of these things. He wanted to, to talk about the Emmett Till murder, and they wouldn't let him. So he just changed it a little bit, and now it was an alien that he was talking Mm. about. And the Twilight Zone allowed him to talk about social issues that were complete no-nos on television, or even in movies at that point. It allowed, science fiction allowed him and people like Roddenberry and Ellison and Asimov to slip all of this stuff under the radar. You didn't know you were being preached to that black people are the same as white people. Except when you watch Star Trek, it's still got, you know, the back of your brain noticed it. That's what Mm. I think was genius about someone like Rod Serling. He used science fiction in the proper way, I think. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the uh, people like Roddenberry and Serling and whatnot, they were able to get a lot of the message out there because it was under the guise of science fiction. Uh, Like with Roddenberry, with the uh, half white, half black face, you know, well, it's well, you know, he's he's white on, you know, he's white on this side, but this guy's white on this side. And it it really was a way of presenting a serious issue through the lens of science fiction and doing it in a smart way and being able to get away with it because previously, you know, the networks and whatnot, they didn't want to cover that sort of thing. They didn't want to cover those issues. And that's kind of something that I have issue with now is that back then they would do it in a way that was subtle, whereas now they'll hit you over the head with a brick. Oh, yeah, the, the Jordan Peels with the sledgehammer to the forehead approach. Yeah, it's like, look, the audience is smarter than you give them credit for. And when you just will bludgeon somebody with something, that just is, it's just annoying. It's like, okay, hey, we get the message you're trying to give. You can, you can move on from that. Sometimes it can be even more subtle than they intend. Can't remember which Star Trek episode it was, but, you know, Uhura is obviously black and obviously female. And I had, they, they brought like a time traveler or for someone from a, the past somehow was blipped into existence, I don't remember. And he referred to her as a negress. And she didn't right. know what that was, implying the racism is so far gone, she doesn't know what a negress was. And I thought, whether that was intended or not, that was brilliant. That was a brilliant look at how, in the Star Trek future, there isn't racism. Although, I mean, you know, if you're Klingon, Kirk will be racist against you. But that, that's speciesism. That's different. It's, yeah, it's it's a little bit different. And also, I mean, at the time, it, you know, Klingons had evolved since then. But when they first were introduced to the Federation, they were a very warlike race. So, or the, the, you know, they, they were or an species, allegory for you know. the for the USSR, actually. Right, but but again, that was how to do something through the lens of science fiction and do it in a way that's subtle and to make you think instead of making it. Here's how we want you to think. I agree with that. That that's something a lot of science fiction writers needed to do back in the day because they couldn't really talk about race or social issues or anything like that so they kind of had to make this uh this alien race is sort of an allegory to these people or this is indicative to that which i definitely think that gene roddenberry was doing what uh they were doing on twilight zone which i think really showed an an originality just a creative factor in general of of how they were going to put these stories together and 
nowadays it just seems like they're really running out of ideas and and they're kind of they're definitely bludgeoning you over the head with with the with the allegories with the metaphors with with with, with what it's about and i do think that some writers don't realize like you know we we get it we understand what's going on like you don't need to you don't need to hit us over the head with it you can be subtle with it like it's it's okay we're we're not that dumb but then what about something where science fiction as a genre whether it's movies tv literature whatever becomes science fact is is it sort of weird to go back and watch a star trek episode a classic 60s star trek episode and see how many pieces of the technology now actually exist how the communicator is a is a cell phone and all this that like when you look at george orwell's 1984 and then you look at some a third world country and you're like they're making 1984 right here you know they're oceana here is it weird when you look at what used to be science fiction, and now you say, God, that's so far in the past, we've actually surpassed what was once science fiction? I think what basically that comes down to with like the, I guess the Star Trek effect is that you had uh, young, brilliant people that grew up watching Star Trek. They, you know, went to MIT and NASA and they're, you know, they were like, hey, uh, you know, we we saw this stuff growing up. We want to make the future now. So they work to invent flat screen televisions and handheld computers and, uh, you know, communicators which are like you said cell phones and they're they're making the stuff that existed then and they're trying to make it a reality i mean if you look at all the things in science fiction there's so many of those that have been adapted and are now something that we use on a daily basis it's just it's a slightly different version like you said with communicators they're you know they they are essentially cell phones but they they look different you know they like that was how they kind of envisioned them back then or if you look at something like back to the future 2 where they went to the future you know, we had giant screen TVs. They were just a bunch of TVs all together instead of one big screen, like that kind of thing. So I think the uh, the ideas are planted, but we didn't have the technology to do them. And then you had a lot of brilliant people that figured out a way to make them happen. I think it's just kind of it's pretty much what what Cecil was saying that there were some younger people that like grew up with this and eventually were like, hey, what if we did have these handheld devices? that we could have like video calls with. And at the same time, I just think it was maybe kind of a coincidental thing. Like the technology was just, it's its not something we could have done back then. And eventually people figured out how to do that, how to put, you know, video devices into phones and, and cameras into phones and, and things like that to do, to do like conference calls with people and whatnot. It's, it's just sort of us evolving um, as far as like what technology works, what technology doesn't. I, I do think that, sci-fi writers had a had a hand to play in that because you know without them you wouldn't have those those sort of young professionals that looked at these shows and these movies and went hey i could i could maybe do that someday i think there's also the fact that look at how much science fiction way at the beginning of this episode cecil said space is what he thinks of when he thinks of science fiction prior to 1969 that was science fiction us humans in space yeah i know sputnik you know went up before that but us landing on the moon was the moment where science fiction became science fact didn't it that all those science fiction those pulp stories that you'd been reading in the 30s 40s and 50s they didn't seem so far away anymore did they in a way 
doesn't science fiction in general, I mean, obviously there's negative connotations and positive connotations. Isn't science fiction sort of a unifying genre that it's showing, okay, the future might be garbage. We might all be living like worms in slave mines, but we will have a future. Isn't it by definition a unifying genre? Yeah, I think it's something that uh, no matter who you are, you should be able to find something in science fiction that uh, would appeal to you one way or the other. You have people that like, uh, you know, hard sci-fi, as they call it, people that like the more fantastical. You have people that like a little bit of uh, whimsy in your science fiction. But I think it's neat that uh, you can look at something like science fiction, especially if you look at an older science fiction film and you're like, wow, that is completely plausible today or that's something that we actually did or that's something that exists and then you look at the science fiction of you know moving into the future and you think wow you know we might have something like that one day so uh part of science fiction is about wonder it's about uh, the unknown it's about the stuff that we maybe don't fully understand and i think that that is something that you know, just about anybody can uh, enjoy are we not moving into a cyberpunk reality. I mean, the more the internet, and, and we actually have cybernetics now, you know, people that get their hand cut off in an industrial accident can get a robot hand that they can actually control. Are we not almost moving into cyberpunk no longer being science fiction? Well, we're kind of already there, if you think about it. Like, we're, we're pretty much, we're sort of living in that kind of uh, reality already. But we just don't have the cool music yet. We don't have the cool music, no. We have very, very crappy music at the moment, at least as far as what's in the mainstream right now. We need more neon. And yes. then, and then we'll, the, the music will come with the neon. But, I mean, we, we keep moving. The, the, one of the beauties of science fiction is that it is a forward-thinking literature because it's literally about ideas and in reality we keep surpassing those ideas sometimes in a negative way like if you grew up like i did during the cold war all those post-apocalyptic science fiction stories seemed a lot more realistic than they do now when you look back at them you're kind of like oh ain't that quaint and you have you have things like that where science fiction science fiction is all about ideas and that's what i love about science fiction that's that's the last thing i want to talk about here how did science fiction as a genre again i'm talking literature movies tv music comic books whatever how did science fiction move from being that geeky stuff that would get your ass beat in high school like me i constantly got my ass kicked for reading comic books and reading now you know science fiction books and bulk paperbacks and stuff how did that go from that to now being the number one genre in all formats the number one tv shows on tv science fiction number one movies science fiction number one literature science fiction how did we go from science fiction was a thing few people would admit to to now being everybody knows everybody is involved in science fiction how did we move from point a to point z here I think uh, this is going back to what I said earlier. The people that grew up watching Star Trek and reading uh, sci-fi novels grew up and they went to MIT and they went to NASA and they started you know, making science fiction a reality. And then they started having their own kids who they then were already in that environment. So they grew up watching science fiction and reading science fiction stuff that their parents did. And uh, they started liking it more and more and getting more and more into it. And I think that it just became it's like anything. Just eventually it gets to a critical mass where critical mass where uh, it becomes a mainstream 
same thing that just about anybody can get into. And the quality is, uh, I don't want to say increasing, but there are some amazing things and then there's some garbage, but you're going to get that with anything. I think that uh, it's that more people are raised in the environment where video games and science fiction is not something that will get you shoved into a locker anymore. People changing the cultural environment changing there's always something that's going to be more popular than not i think in every culture and it's also what what cecil was saying as far as what kind of people grew up back then that ended up becoming uh, we ended up getting more and more people that were fans of this sort of content rather than like what was the status quo at the time which was more you you had to be into like into dramas and i i guess like romance novels and stuff sports being into sports, more, sports, sports, sports 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 was the Sports, sports, got to be in the sports. Whereas nowadays, you know, people I, I think have gotten pretty tired of that. And it's it's really more of an acceptance of science fiction, of horror, of, of things like that. So it's it's really just, just the constant pendulum shifting. I just think it's kind of weird when I see the same people who used to beat my ass for wearing an X-Men t-shirt or a Joe Lindsner t-shirt are now the first ones in line for an Avengers movie. I just think there's there's sort of a weird dichotomy to that. No, it's it's very weird. There, even in my time when I was in high school, there the types of people when I was in probably eighth or ninth grade that would call me a skid faggot for liking uh, horror movies or heavy metal. Now they're they're super into both of those things, and it just shows. Like as soon as something, as soon as something gets popular, people are gonna latch onto it. It's all about trends. But then when it comes to science fiction, why do you think it has been such an enduring genre? Again, in all different mediums. Now, obviously, when science fiction started in literature, television didn't exist. But then it moved to radio. Then it moved to television. Or then it moved to movies. Then it moved to television. Why is science fiction so enduring? Because, I mean, I read science fiction all throughout my childhood. I, one, the first thing I, I read was probably a science fiction book. I don't even remember what the first book would be, but I was always attracted to science fiction with these covers. You know, they, they would have these beautiful paintings on the covers. I don't even remember what the first one was, but I have so many. Why is it so enduring? Not just then that it endured until today. Why is science fiction actually possibly bigger today than it had ever been? People that grew up watching and reading and all that had kids. Those kids grew up reading and watching and so on and so forth. And so it's it's consequently grown bigger and bigger and bigger. And you have people who are enjoying this more. Like, here, here's a good example. Say hi. Hello, Riker. Hey, Riker. <laughs> hi. Hey, little Say, guy. You like, do you like crawl? Yes, I love crawl. Yes, you do. <laughs> good kid. I love crawl. But yeah, I mean that's that's there you go. You know. Now granted, I am I am not one of those parents that is forcing him to, you know, only watch the stuff that I like. Honestly, with something like that, it was uh I had it sitting on my desk one day and he's like, "What is this?" And I'm like, "It's crawled. I need I that's so cool." So like I'm <laughs> I'm letting uh you know, I am letting him decide to a certain degree. Now, am I presenting him with some stuff that he maybe wouldn't have seen on his own? Well, yeah, you know, hey, you know, look at this, uh, look at Star Trek, you know, what you're named after, you know, look at uh, this, what you might be interested. Hey, I just got a box set of, you know, Batman, the animated series, and he already loves Batman. So it's, it's a way of uh, getting him into stuff that uh, he maybe 
he maybe will eventually, but uh, I kind of sped things along a little bit. But he right. still has stuff that he likes. Like he likes this show called Miraculous on, uh, I think it's on like Disney Junior or something. It, it like, but stuff like that where I watch it and I'm just like, nah. but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm not, you know, it's, I mean, I'm sure there were things, you know, I was growing up watching like He-Man and stuff. And so I'm sure my parents were like, Ugh, you know, cause they, <laughs> they didn't like any of that. I remember when I used to babysit my niece years and years ago when she was little. She loved, I don't remember what channel this was on, but Sagwa the Chinese Cat. So I always had to watch Sagwa with her. So no, I know Sagwa, what you mean. Sagwa the Chinese Cat. Yes, I don't remember. Never... It was like on the hub or something like some some satellite channel and she loved In- Sagwa. Interesting title. Very interesting title. They are the new generation, and they are what's going to carry this forward. And I think that is what is so unique, especially... Now, this might be talking down to a previous point that I made, but science fiction, we can look at that as adults, whether we read science fiction in our youth or not, and we can kind of go, man, there's some good ideas in here. This is really interesting. To a kid, this is just completely eye-opening, like an entire new world that, oh my god, there's aliens and maybe there's vampires from space. And I just remember when I was a kid, how fantastic. I think that's the word, fantastic, fantastical. That's what science fiction is, especially when you're first exposed to it. It is just so overwhelming in a good way. No, for sure. I think everybody discovers it for discovers anything for themselves in their own way, in their own time. Like, obviously, I had discovered stuff through outside influences just because because I'm I'm a bit I'm a bit younger. You know, obviously, there's there's things that I was watching when I was a kid that were things from like the 70s and the 80s. But yet, you know, I'm somebody that grew up more in the 90s and the and the 2000s. But that was due to my my parents watching something and me coming in the room. Like, you know, that's that's how I ended up seeing things like RoboCop and, and David Cronenberg's Fly and and just like a, a friend of mine that had like a big his mom had like a big VHS collection of all these all these different movies and she was super into like Friday the 13th and, and things like that so that's how I saw those those like movie covers at least for the first time episodes of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that that she had recorded for her son on like VHS that like me and him would watch together so there's always a, a way that you can discover things that's not quite from your generation but you can still enjoy like anybody can really enjoy anything from from any any time period like i don't think there's really any limit to that my mom used to watch Battlestar Galactica with me. My mom took me to see all the all the early Star Trek movies, Blade Runner, all that. She took me to see all the Star Wars movies. My mom took me to see all that stuff. So I saw all those with my mom when I was good. I remember she took me to the drive-in to see Raiders of the Lost Ark when that came out. So I was exposed to it from a young age, and my son technically was too, although he wouldn't have known it at the time. I He was really, really young, like still very little baby, and I was feeding him while watching Star Wars on TV, and he sort of remembered that. He, when I brought oh. that up to him, I mean, I'm not joking when I say I was literally born into Star Trek. 
when when I was born, they had a TV in the room to give the woman something to concentrate on during labor. And my dad said there was a Star Trek episode on the TV when I was born. I'm not <laughs> oh joking. My God. So wow. I was born into Star Trek. He, he can't he couldn't remember what episode it was, but it doesn't matter. One of the first things like, I probably heard was, damn it, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised you weren't named like Kirk or something. Actually, my, I swear to God, I'm not making this up. My dad wanted to name me Lucifer. I'm not <laughs> joking. I swear to God, I'm not making that up. My mom <laughs> nixed that idea hard. Well, you can't entirely blame her for that one. <laughs> that's, that's a name that honestly would have changed your life. Like, In a good way. You would, you know, I mean, a lot of people, you know, would call you Lucifer, but I think <laughs> you being named Lucifer would uh, would have made things a little bit more difficult for yourself. It's like a, a boy named Sue, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then to end, what does science fiction really mean in this day and age versus what it meant, say, in the pulp era? Does science fiction have more sway on pop culture nowadays or less? I'd say it has way more. Like, uh, science fiction is driven pop culture for the past, at least the very past decade or so, and it's going to continue to do that. I think that uh, it will continue to be the most profitable and the most used genre out there. I mean, if you go into any bookstore that's still open, or if you just go onto Amazon or something, if you want to do that, but look at all the top selling movies and all the top selling books and all the top, you know, all the big TV shows, the vast majority of them have some sort of either science fiction, fantasy, or a melding of the two as the biggest thing out there. So I think science fiction is the genre that's going to be the biggest thing and that is the biggest thing and it's going to continue to be the biggest thing. Oh, it's it's extremely popular now. It's nothing like it was before. You know, you, you have people walking around in Star Trek shirts and Star Wars shirts and, you know, even just like the Marvel stuff as well. The, the pendulum has completely shifted compared to what it was in the, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s, even early, even early 2000s, like the 2000s compared to the 2010s and now going into the 2020s. Very different as far as what's popular, what's considered trendy, what's considered cool. Nowadays, it's it's considered it's considered OK, very much like that's an understatement, like more than okay to be into science fiction, to be into Star Wars, Star Trek, to be into to reading the the science fiction novels and and things like that. So it's we're we're living in a very different age than I think that the three of us actually grew up in. I can't disagree with that. I just don't like how science fiction is sort of turned into just a thing nowadays. I, I do have a problem with how science fiction is the it thing instead of the thing that you should be looking at in a deeper way. It's, you know, like I said, just we're throwing the science fiction aesthetic on various things, and I don't like that. Well, anytime anything gets super popular and gets like, overly homogenized and oversaturated it does tend to get a bit boring so it's like the kind of the, the mainstream version of, of science fiction is it's a very watered down version of the very thoughtful kind of material that i think we grew up with 
I absolutely agree with that. So where can we find the Peter if people wish to tell him he has got his head in the clouds and he's living in the future? I have constantly got my head in the clouds. I am living in the past, in the future, of today, of tomorrow. Days of, of futures past on the Twitter, at Zinematica, on Facebook, The Cinemasticus, but only when I upload episodes. I will not respond to you because I'm not using Facebook. On 1201beyond.com, of course, with other fine programming. On Patreon, at Zinematica. Where can we find Cecil, who is a robot who suspiciously looks like Crow? Where can people find him (laughs) if he needs to be reprogrammed? You can find me on the Satellite of Love over at uh, (laughs) GoodBadFlix.com as well as GoodBadFlicks on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. I'm interested to hear what you guys think about science fiction, whether it's bigger, whether it's smaller, whether it's more important or less important. Try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.